0: So there's something that happens in life that you encounter, that I encounter, um, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Nothing. You can try, you can plan, you can have all the details laid out. Keith, how do you know? Because that's me. I'm the detail person. It's called an interruption. And the irony of all of this is multifaceted today because as just just mm, 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 20 minutes ago, we all got to experience a glorious technological interruption. This past Wednesday, we gathered for our summer dream team party. Everybody that serves our thrive, we got together, we ate great food, we celebrated what God's been doing at Thrive Church. And then Friday morning, the text messages and phone calls and Facebook comments started rolling in. The norovirus, this stomach bug has swept through. Say interruption. Interruption? We cannot prevent interruptions, but we can be ready for them. See, the thing about an interruption Again, if you're like, I don't really have to deal with it. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This morning, I'm sitting in my living room. Me and Lauren are talking about today's service, going over details. What happens? Amaya, like I'm not literally speaking out loud, walks in. Hey, have you guys seen my uh, head funk? Interruption. And see, there are some interruptions that can be life-changing. That can be life-altering. And today, we're actually going to look at a chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, that is layered with interruptions. One after another. But these interruptions have way more bigger great ripple effect than a kid interrupting your conversation. Or the sound not working at the beginning of service. So turn with me to Acts chapter 9 verse 1. And today we're gonna look at an individual named Paul. Paul is one of the most instrumental individuals, church planters, in the New Testament. Two-thirds of the New Testament are letters written by him to a church or to an individual. So if it were not for Paul, it would the New Testament would be a lot shorter than it currently is. He traveled, he had missionary journeys, planting churches, casting out demons. Performing miracles, but it wouldn't have happened if it had not been for an interruption. You see, before he began to follow Jesus, he was more of this like enforcer. He was a persecutor. He arrested, tortured, and killed Christians. That was that's what he did. He was there when Stephen was martyred and stoned to death, holding people's coats. And then when you fast forward in Acts, you see him doing all these miraculous things for the gospel, for, for the gospel going forward and starting churches. How did that happen? An interruption. So let's read together. Acts chapter 9. And we're going to read through the first 22 verses. But I promise we're going to have reprieve and commentary in between. So you're thinking, oh, thank God. He's just not going to stand there for, and read 22 verses. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. Now, let's pause here for a moment. You're like, bro, you just said Paul. Who is Saul? Who is this guy? They are the same person. Saul is Paul. Paul is Saul. Um, in their day and time, in their culture, it was not uncommon for someone to have a what's called a dual name. So for him, the way most scholars unpack it and believe— Saul was his Hebrew name, because he's a Jew. So Saul was his Hebrew name, but God, as we're going to read here, is going to call him to go and preach the gospel to Gentiles. So he began around Acts 13. He started going by what's basically like his Roman name, or his government name, I guess, would be Paul. There was no miraculous, crazy, you know, it wasn't like where Jesus said, hey, you're Saul, now you're Paul, like with Abraham. Nope, it was a decision that he made, and we're speculating why that change occurred. One scholar that I read, he, his kind of take on it was that he went, started going by Paul because the name Saul had this reputation uh, that he was going to persecute and imprison Christians. So that way he started going by Paul. So there are different viewpoints on why the name changed. But right here, he's Saul. Saul is Paul. Paul is Saul. Okay, verse 2. He requested letters, being Paul, to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. The way is what they called the Christian movement there in the early church, okay? you didn't know you were going to learn so much. Followers of the way, he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but Saul, no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Paul, again, I, I can only imagine there in verse 1 where it says, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. I, I just imagine him talking through his teeth. Just, just. oh, I can't wait to get my hand. Oh, I'm going to take him. I'm going to torture. And this is the guy, this is the one that God decided to use to spread the gospel. Say interruption. Interruption. Here's another one. Verse 10. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Not the same Judas that betrayed Jesus, just FYI. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. And I love this. Ananias is just being so real. He jumped straight to obedience, right? Nope. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. Ananias like, are you sure? Like, I know you're like the Lord and all, but like, you know what this guy does, right? But the Lord said, go For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Ananias was there in Damascus just living his best life for the Lord. And then his life gets interrupted to go pray for and baptize the one that was going to be going to Damascus that he could have been imprisoned with or by. Interrupted. Verse 20. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And they asked, and didn't he come to arrest them and take them in chains by the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. They could not believe this was taking place. The guy that was supposed to come and arrest the Christians has become a Christian. And what's crazy is when you read further into uh, chapter 9, Paul, he goes back to Jerusalem. But he doesn't go back with prisoners He goes back and he wants to begin to hang out with the believers in Jerusalem, with the apostles. And you know what they do? They're like, "Mm, I think this is a trick. I'm pretty sure this is like him going like undercover boss type deal. Like he's gonna come in here. He's gonna find out all of our tricks and secrets and then he's gonna take all of us away. Interruptions. Here's what I want us to do today. I want you and uh, I to learn how to embrace God-sized interruptions. I don't believe every interruption is from God. Okay? I'm not the one that's going to say here that everything that's like when a monkey wrench gets thrown in, oh, that's the devil. It might be. It might be the plan of the enemy to wreck stuff. He is out to still kill, and destroy. But it could just be a consequence of my own actions. So I do want to say, not every interruption that happens in our life is God moving. I believe that God can use every interruption for his purpose, for his glory. But I don't think he causes every interruption. And one of the most difficult things for you and for me is that we have to surrender our desires, our plans to God. That once we make a decision to follow Jesus, we are no longer our own. We were bought at a price, Paul wrote. And we have to take what I want, and I have to lay it at the feet of Christ. I have to say yes to him and no to me. And it's difficult. Why? Because I'm selfish. I don't want to read the Bible and pray. I want to sit and binge through Netflix. I want to download the new update on Fortnite and just go, just annihilate some kids that don't know how to play a video game. But I have to lay at the feet of Christ. You see, when I first started following Jesus, I had no plan, no desire to be in ministry. Didn't want this. Some days I still don't want this. I had plans to go into like computer tech type work. Love getting to work with computers. And then God said no. And I said, reluctantly, okay. So, why does this matter? Because if we ignore, if we don't embrace these interruptions, these moments, these opportunities that God places in our lives, then what we're gonna do is we're gonna forfeit God's best that he has and he wants for us. And I'm gonna quantify what I mean by God's best, okay? Because you may have heard someone say, God wants what's best for you. We all have an idea of what is best, okay? And typically, it's selfish. What's best is a fat bank account, full gas tank, and an awesome retirement. That's my best. But is it God's best? I don't know. Because I believe it's different for every single one of us. God wants to use you where you are at. God's best is us living in obedience to him. God's best is us, again, if we're in this predicament like Paul, He got blinded and he had to get led to a room and hang out for multiple days, blind completely, blind as a bat, and wait for some stranger to show up that will hopefully pray for him. Someone is waiting for your obedience. I I am a firm believer that when God calls you to do something, it's not just for you, that there's a ripple effect that takes place. That this God sized interruption, just like here, it didn't just impact Paul. It impacted the people that were with him. It impacted Ananias. It impacted the global church as it was. We're still talking about it to this day. The ripple effect is continuing. And it's all because of one interruption. I do believe that God wants the best for you, but it's His best. And if you and I, if we do not allow the interruptions, if we do not allow ourselves to be obedient to what God is calling us to, then we're going to forfeit that. And we're going to live a life chasing something that's going to gratify, something that's going to make us feel content. And here's the truth. You're just going to keep chasing. You're going to hop from one thing or one person, one job, one, You're never going to be satisfied. Because the only thing that's going to make you feel whole, that's gonna make you feel content, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, is the Lord. Is a thriving, growing relationship with Him. And here's why this is matters to me. Why Keith, why does this you see? I I am the byproduct of interruptions. I remember in high school, I was a freshman. I was a young punk and I had finished all my homework because that's what a good young punk does. And I'm sitting in the house doing nothing. And again, this is long before smartphones and YouTube. I don't even know if we had a computer in our house. And I got a phone call from a girl that lived down the street named Diana. She's like, hey, I'm going to this church youth service tonight. Uh, You wanna go? She's asking about me and my brothers. My brothers had not done their homework. So guess what? They couldn't go. Hmm. So keep being good parents. So I went. And her deciding to pick up the phone to invite me to church changed my life forever. You see, I have individuals that when I was that young punk took time with me and I didn't deserve it. They said that I had some type of weird potential that I thought, I was like, you're older than me. I get to hang out with you. I'm, that's fine with me. Heck yeah, I get to hang out with older individuals. You know who one of those people are? Our lead pastor, Kevin Bordeaux. I was a 14-year-old. He was 19, and he taught me how to read Scripture, how to interpret Scripture, starting in the book of James. That interruption, listen, I don't know if you know this, But when you help someone that knows nothing to do something, it takes a long time, and it will test your patience. You don't believe me? Go find a kid that doesn't know how to tie their shoes and teach them how to tie their shoes. It'll test your patience. Kevin did not have to bring me alongside. Brooke Cooper did not have to bring me alongside. Eddie Barnes, Brian Burgess, name after name after name, did not have to allow me to interrupt their flow and their life. But they did. And because of that, God has led me here to where I am today. So you see, if you do not embrace the god sized interruption, you have no idea what you're forfeiting. You do not know what you're saying no to. Because we are so limited in our thinking. Because you and I, and this is the action step, we have to realize that God's plan is perfect and the our plan is short-sighted. We can only see but so far in front of us. You know, I recently found out that if you're standing on the shore at the beach and you're looking out of the ocean, you know, I, for 36 years, I have thought I can see 20 miles because I have 20-20 vision. You know, I found out I can't. Technically, I'm only seeing maybe around two and a half miles I am very short-sighted. And see, that's how we live our lives. We think we know better than God. We think that, you know what, I I am seeing 20 miles ahead of me. Actually, you're seeing two miles. Um, You just need to listen more. For three days, Paul was blind. So how do we do this? How do we embrace it? How do we embrace the God-sized opportunity? The first one, and this is one of the most difficult, we have to release control. We have to release control. We have to allow God to take control. I think it's so fitting that Paul, he was blinded for three days, he was in, on his way to Damascus. It wasn't like this moment happened while he was like at his apartment or hotel room in Damascus, like planning out how to destroy the church. He was on his way there. And then he had to be led and guided by the people with him the rest of the way. You and I have to be okay with not being in control and it is so difficult. I love being in control. I feel like I have to be in control. When me and my family, we go somewhere, I kind of, I want to drive. Is it because Lauren is a bad driver? No. I don't see her, so I'm going to say no. No, she's not a bad driver, but I am better. We have to trust God. We have to trust him because his Will is perfect. He sees further than our little two-and-a-half-mile eyes can see. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is limitless where we are finite. Our brains end up running out of juice. We run out of energy. We get tired. We have to sleep. We have to take naps. We have to eat so we can replenish energy. God doesn't have to do any of that. He is perfect. Why would we not want to allow him to take control? And then all we have to do is obey. (laughs) So we've got to release control. The second thing we have to do, and this is where we get to be humble, we have to receive guidance. We have to receive guidance. You see, there's two moments in this passage that we talked about where people receive guidance. One, Paul had to be willing to hear from Ananias. He had to wait. He had to sit there for three days in total blindness and Wait. Wait for the stranger to show up and pray for him. Wait for him to guide him, to show him. Ananias had to be willing to hear from God and obey. He was resistant as I would be. Can you ima- I can't even fathom what that moment would have felt like, what would have been going through Ananias' head, but I get it. I get his resistance. I get his hesitancy because he's like, you know, I might get there and Saul might just kill me. I don't care if he is blind. There's people with him. This could be a trap. We have to release control. We have to receive guidance. You see, there are people in your life that God is going to use in the interruption, in the chaos, in the opportunity. We follow Jesus for ourselves, not by ourselves. God created us for relationship. Proverbs says, iron sharpening iron as one does so with another. We sharpen one another. Allow people to speak into your life with godly wisdom, with biblical wisdom. And then we have to, after we've released control, we've received guidance, we have to respond in obedience. We actually have to follow through. Imagine that. Otherwise, it's just useless knowledge, okay? Like you can straight up hear everything I've talked about today and do none of it and still learn something. It doesn't matter unless we apply it, unless we walk in obedience. You know, in those latter half there of chapter 9, you see all these individuals second-guessing Paul doing what God told him to do, that he was going to go and preach, that he was going to share the gospel. And they're like, "Mm, I don't know about that. I don't care what Ananias told me. I'm still hesitant. I mean, this guy literally is known for killing people. Do you remember Stephen? Mm Mm-hmm. You may walk in obedience, and some people may not fully understand it. The question is, is it biblical? And if it's biblical, and God is guiding you, God is leading you, some people may not get it, but guess what? My sight, their sight, our sight is very short sighted. And I believe that God wants to interrupt our lives. God wants to interrupt your marriage. God wants to interrupt your parenting. God wants to interrupt how you are as an employee, how you are as an employer. God wants to interrupt how you are out and about, enjoying your hobbies, just enjoying your life. God wants to interrupt how you're grocery shopping. God wants to interrupt your life. See, we always want to, like, divide our life into this circular pie chart. Well, God gets this slice and family gets this slice. No, 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 no. God is the crust. God encompasses everything. Your relationship with the Lord should flow into every area. How you are as a husband or a wife, guess what? It should be dictated by how God is moving in your life. It should be this overflow that takes over. But sometimes we all fall victim to, eh, I, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a phenomenal follower of Christ on Sunday from 10 to 11, 15. Oh, man, I'm perfect. And then we forget all about them, And then we wonder why our lives are in shambles and everything sucks and everything's falling apart. It's because we have relegated Him to just one part of our life. Can you imagine, when you read through the book of Acts, I encourage you as we're going through the series, jump ahead. When you read through the book of Acts, these are not individuals that were just allowing God a piece of them. Their entire lives were uprooted for the gospel. Everything. Paul was on his way to be one of the, basically one of the people in charge within the religious leaders and the religious church of the Jews. And he forfeited all of that so he could go plant churches. So he could get beaten and tortured and stoned nearly to death, left for dead. (sighs) Guys, I don't even want to like wait in line at a grocery store. I want to find the quickest way in, quickest way out. I am a selfish individual. I can't imagine uprooting everything, saying no to the pleasures of life. Guys, he wrote Philippians from jail, from this dungeon, one of the most encouraging letters in the New Testament, and he was sitting there in the dark, probably covered in poop, probably a better word, but I can't say here, and yet he was talking about counting things joy. Ha! <laughs> focusing on things above, not below, while he was literally in a dungeon. God wants to interrupt your life, but it's not so that you can be great. It's not so that you can be looked at and admired and lifted high upon a pedestal. Oh, I wish I were like so-and-so. It is to lift the name of Jesus. Is that when people encounter you, they encounter his grace, they encounter his forgiveness, they encounter his love, they encounter him through you. It's to love God, to love people. But if we don't release control, if we don't receive guidance, if we don't obey, it will not happen. Imagine if Paul just said, you know what? I'm good. Take me back to Jerusalem. I can't see a thing. Take me back to the doctors. He didn't have to go to Damascus. He could have freaked out and gone right back where he came from. Now, I'm, granted, it's a theophany of a moment when you see this blinding light blinding, blind you, and then you hear this audible voice of Jesus speaking to you. That will change things. He didn't have a leading. I mean, Jesus was like straight up audibly speaking. The people that were there heard Jesus speaking, but they saw no one. We have to embrace these God-sized interruptions, not for ourselves, but for what happens after, for the ripple effect. We have to make the most, Peter talks about making the most of every opportunity. And this week, tomorrow, today, when you leave here, guess what? You're gonna have a chance to embrace a God-sized opportunity. Yep. I'm going to have a chance. And guess what? You have a choice. You can say yes or you can say no. And here in a moment, we're going to pray. And my prayer, I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm going to give you a foreshadowing, is that God will speak clearly and it will be obvious what you need to do. There's no second guessing. You won't have to wonder. It will be as clear that God will speak so crystal clear that it will be like he's doing audibly. And for some of you, guess what? Maybe God's going to speak audibly to you. Yeah, God still does miracles. God is still the miraculous. But I believe that after today that we are going to be more aware of these moments, of these opportunities. So if you would pray with me. God, we're thankful that you are with us and you are for us. God, no matter what we're facing, God, you have not left us and you will not leave us. Even if we feel like you're a million miles away, even if we feel like our prayers are just, just hitting the a ceiling, God, you go, are so beyond that. God, I pray today, God, help us to see the opportunities, God, the interruptions, God, that causes us to stop on our tracks and rethink or how we think or how we live our lives, our habits. God, I pray you interrupt toxic relationships today. God, I pray that you interrupt addictions. God, I pray that you interrupt uh, self-worth issues. God, I pray you interrupt anxiety and depression. God, I pray today that we lean into you, into your goodness, into your kindness, into your love and your grace and your mercy and your peace. God, you are above every experience that we could have, whether good or bad. God, help us to surrender fully to you, to lay our lives at your feet. God, to use us as you desire, as you wish. God, guide our steps. God, guard our hearts. God, allow us to hear you and to obey. God, let us not resist, but God, let us follow you completely. And as we continue to pray this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is your interruption. Just like Jesus meeting Paul on that road, you have an opportunity to follow him today. Jesus and his death and resurrection was the greatest interruption of humanity because in his finished work, we can have a relationship with God and it's to believe and to confess as it's written in Romans, to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, that by his death and resurrection that we can be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life and it's to confess that. As a way of confession, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today, I want you just to pray this prayer with me and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that in your death and resurrection, I am forgiven of my sins, and I am made whole. I confess that you are Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you, and it's in your holy name we pray, amen. Can we just take a minute and let's celebrate with those that made that decision today?